Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Let me talk about the lie of easy living, the lie of easy living. So if you want to follow Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13, Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Notice that part that says that you may be able to stand or to resist, whether in word or deed, in the evil day. And that's times full of sorrow, we all experience that, or pressure that comes from circumstances. Anybody here ever find yourself experiencing pressure from circumstances you found yourself in? Oh, dear Jesus, yes. Ought to be a resounding yes. Well, the Bible word for that is affliction. Now, when we think of affliction, often we think only of disease, but it refers to pressure that comes from circumstances we find ourselves in. Now, it's interesting that the word for circumstance comes from a word that means the circle that you're standing in, the circle that you're standing in. So we find ourselves standing in these circles sometimes, and there's enormous pressure being applied to us. And the Bible tells us that as this pressure is being applied to us, that we are to stand. We are to stand in the middle of that pressure. Let me pause a minute and say this. When he says, having done all to stand, I've had on occasion friends say, well, I don't know what we're doing wrong. Well, I don't know what we're failing to do. And I remind them. I said, he says, having done all to stand, stand, shut up, stand. You didn't do anything wrong. You did, you've done everything God asked you to do. You've obeyed what he asked you to do. Having done all to stand, what else can you do? Stand or cut and run. He says, stand. Now, I live in a culture that wants it quick, shortcuts. I can Google, find out something quick. Don't, uh, I want everything quick. If the service isn't pretty rapid, I get agitated. We've grown up in that culture. It isn't good, but we've grown up in it. Everything's microwaved. Everything's quick. We, get, we scream at the microwaves. Hurry up! I mean, we want everything fast. And God just doesn't do everything real fast. Sometimes he says, having done everything to stand, stand. Well, I want a shot for it. I haven't got one. Well, give me a pill. I hadn't got one. Well, give me something else I can do. Don't have anything else. Well, what do you expect me to do? Stand. See, this is just not, this is unheard of. It's like, you must be insane. No, I'm reading the Bible. Having done everything, stand. Sweat this baby out. See, 
Now, the word stand literally means having done all to be present. To be present. That means having done all to be there. How many know not everybody shows up? A lot of times the pressure gets intense. A lot of guys aren't present when they're supposed to be. They've deserted their post. You military people know it as A-W-O-L, absent without leave. Paul often uses military terms, and this is one of them, having done all to be present. If you've been in the military, you're supposed to be present on your post, on your assigned duty. In fact, our word for take in this Bible text I read in Ephesians 6 comes from the Greek word we use for standing orders. So God says, take this or do this and keep on doing it, and you don't stop doing it ever. Why? Because I told you to do it. <laughs> Parents, have you ever said to your kids when they said, why? Because I told you so. Come on. Well, when you ask God that, he's going to say, because I told you so. You keep doing what I told you to do in spite of the pressure right now, because I told you to do it. So the Lord's talking about a battle, and Paul's talking about standing. I want to share five characteristics all of us need, especially fathers and believers, that enable us to meet the test of our times. Far too many believers fail to meet the challenges that are presented to us today. In fact, we have been soft because we could be. But times, as Bob Dylan wrote, they are a-changing. We now live in a world where we as a church have to meet the test. Tom Brokaw, who was a former NBC correspondent, wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. I met him in London, England, and met him in a hall of a hotel and at breakfast and complimented the book and told him I had a father that was also in that World War II generation. Had a lovely talk with the guy. And that book is about World War II and the men that fought. And he called them the greatest generation of our country. And that generation gave us the generation we have today. And when that test came to them, they passed the test. So it's vital for our generation that we pass our test to help the next generation pass their test. So we've got to be present. Even though there's pressure, the Bible says, having done all to stand, be present. So I want to be present when the roll is called, and I'm not talking about the one up yonder. I'm talking about the one in my generation right now. We have a responsibility to meet our test, to stand and be present. See, there's another generation looking to us to pass the test. So let me begin with those five characteristics. Number one, when it comes to standing, all of us need to ask ourselves this question. Do I give up too easily? Do I give up too easily? You know, I was forced, I probably had abusive parents, but I was forced, if I started a model airplane or I started a game, I, if I started anything, the rule was you finish it. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you don't like it anymore. You started it, you finish it. If you signed up to serve in some ministry for six weeks, you serve it for six weeks. Well, I don't feel like going. Well, I didn't feel like coming today. But so what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't feel like doing a lot of things. Didn't want me to do something? I didn't want to do it, but I did it. 
I didn't tell her I didn't want to do it, but I just did it. See, we give up too easily. And I believe that diligence and faithfulness are top shelf assets, whether in battle or in work or in relationships. So many have found it really hard to stay on the task. Why? Because we've got so many distractions. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus warned us. He said, be careful when the word of God is sown into your life. Be careful because Satan will come and sow their seeds into your life to choke the word of God and make it of no effect in your life. So he called these seeds thorns. And one of these thorns was the cares of this world. You know, when I went to high school, there was nothing open on Sunday. And everything shut down at 11 on Saturday. There weren't any games. There weren't any movies on TV. And the worst thing we could do is drive to a drive-in hamburger joint. You could get beer and get drunk and get in a fight. That's about it. (laughs) Now, you want to go back to the good old days? That sounds all right to me. But the kids today face enormous pressure. And so do adults. We have so many distractions cares of this world. Another translation says, the distractions of this age. And there are so many distractions around us, and they will take you out of your place of standing and passing your test. And in my opinion, it's been far too easy to escape. We've made it easy to quit. It's too easy to quit in marriages. It's too easy to quit parenting. It's too easy to quit in a job. It's too easy to quit in situations of conflict. Parents will come to a school generally when their precious child gets in trouble and never admit the child is responsible, ever. Body's laying on the floor in blood and a sword in his hand, and no, he's not, he's not guilty. It's the teacher's fault. It's the school's fault. It was the other kid's fault. No, it was your little blessing's fault. See, when my parents sent me off to school, we had a simple understanding. If you get in trouble, boy, you might want to move to another home before you get home. That's a long walk home. Now, my father's perspective was, that's your teacher. That's your authority. He's right. You're wrong. You shut up. Don't care if he's Frankenstein. He's military. You obey that authority. We'll talk it out later. And, of course, the teacher in my case was right. I was always wrong. I got kicked out of the third grade. My father came to get me. And I saw my father in the school door, and I thought, this is not good. I don't know what's up. But I was trading marbles during class. Marbles, that was the big thing back then. And I was trading. I wanted to get some steelies and a glass eye. I wanted to get those nice marbles. And I thought, that's just great. Well, the teacher didn't call my daddy. My daddy came and took me home out of that school. I had to write a note to that teacher to apologize for my aberrant behavior. <laughs> Can you imagine today that what the, I mean, the basic assumption was my kid's guilty. He's been misbehaving. But the assumption today is every kid's perfect. So let me share a secret with you. Psalms 58 Verse 3, memorize it. Every child goes astray from the mother's womb. You don't need a seminar. You don't even need a friend. It's just inherent in our broken nature to go astray after you're born. 
Every single one of the kids do that. Mine too. They will disobey you. They will lie to you. Yeah, your precious little one. They will slant the truth. They won't tell you the truth. See, we're teaching our children they have no responsibility. If you mess up, it's okay. Daddy will come with an attorney and bail you out. And then we as a parent do this because we also think we should bail out when the going gets tough. And so we got a bailout generation. You will never withstand in the evil day, in your marriage, your career, your health, conflict in relationships, or even on the job, you will never, never stand if you're going to quit and give up. If you give up too easy, you will never measure up to the times that are really tough that we're living in right now. So our culture has been deceived by this lie called easy living. It is a lie. Grinding it out is at the core of being a good man, a good woman, a good husband, a good wife, a good friend, a good father, a good mother, a good citizen, a good believer, just grinding it out. I've been asked what I thought was my greatest strength. Have you ever thought about that for your own life? what your greatest strength is? Well, some people say it's communication. Some said it's a prophetic intuition. Others said a teaching gift, but I know what it is. And it's as simple as dirt. It's just a willingness to grind it out. I'm willing to put my head down and walk it out. Good day, bad day. Now, why is that important? Because if you're willing to grind it out, you can turn your enemies into powder over time. I've outlived and outwalked many of my critics by simply walking it out, grinding them into powder. I just kept doing what I'm supposed to be doing, what I was called to do, day in, day out, good feeling, bad feeling, didn't matter. And people said this and people said that. I just kept going, still do. And I can name some other people that do just as well. Do you know why dogs bark when you walk down the street? Because they know you're going somewhere and they're not. <laughs> and you're willing to grind it out. Or do you want the quick fix, the easy deal? But you'll never be willing to stand unless you're willing to grind it out. I wish it was fun and happy, but sometimes it just sucks. It's hard. I, what did Paul say? Endure hardness as a good soldier. Military terms. Grind it out. Well, I don't like and I don't feel and I don't want to. Grind it out. We've been called to an assignment. Stay in your post. Fight the good fight. That's all I know to tell you. What, what's happened to us? We've been singing, I'll fly away too long. Now, the Lord one day will come back, okay? But until then, we better be doing what he asked us to do, all right? He said, occupy till I come. He said, don't focus on coming. He even told the disciples, it's not for you to know. So we'll write 30 books on it, make a lot of money, and none of it be right. I've had enough of that. Let's just figure out how to live while we're on earth. When we leave, what do we care? But right now, let's figure out how to do marriage, how to do kids, how to do relationships, how to do our money, how to do health, how, how, how to do uh, employees and uh, businesses, just doing life. That's what most people fail at. How, how many now know that all of life in Christianity isn't fun? Not all of it. A meaningful relationship with God or in marriage is not always fun. <laughs> you just have to put your head down, believe God, and walk it out. You will never withstand in the evil day 
if you're unwilling to grind it out. I'm sorry, precious. Somebody in church lied to you. You're going to hear truth unedited, unplugged. This is true. Sometimes and I'm praying for people and I just have to say, you know what? You're a good person. You've been doing a good thing. There's some bad stuff happening to you right now. Keep the press on. Grind it out. Don't quit. This has a shelf life. It will end. You will be able to triumph. But having done all to stand, you stay right where you are. Don't run to another woman. Don't run to another job. Don't run to another church. Don't run to something else because it's going to be hard no matter where you go. It's just hard for everybody. Now, the church, unfortunately, has not majored on grinding it out. It's majored on flying away. How can I escape? Not on how to live. So I want to focus on how to live on this planet Earth and to live in relationship, live in a career, because it's going to go bad every now and then. Somebody's going to hurt your feeling. Somebody's going to let you down. Well, I'm not going back to church because somebody offended me. I get offended every week, so what? When I go out in public, my wife puts a sign on me. Caution, he bites. You know, I'm sure. I mean, that's just, Jesus said it's inevitable offenses must come. Is that all it takes for you to cut and run? A bad day, a bad comment, somebody did you wrong, and you just drop out of church in life, and now you've lost your assignment. God help you. That's not going to cut it. The second characteristic, do I tell the truth? Do I... What do you figure the lying capital of the world is? Washington, D.C. I don't care who's in power up there. What a lying bunch of people. I mean, they even get elected lying. That congressman that lied, he was in the military, he was wounded, he did this, he was in graduate school and achieved magna cum. He never been to school, never graduated, never got a diploma, never was in the military, nothing. That guy got in office representing you. Oh, hallelujah. I'm thinking I'd bounce him out as fast as I could. Everything you said was a lie. Get out of here. So years ago, people did business face to face. If you lied, you soon didn't have any business. I remember my grandfather could borrow money from the bank on a handshake. Try that now. See, but now we do business by phone, mail, text, Zoom, email, and it makes it easier to lie. But telling the truth shows that you are dependable. So why do we lie? Well, maybe two reasons, maybe more. Number one, I'm ashamed of something. Number two, I'm trying to get something by lying because I can't obtain it fairly. So I lie, right? So some of you swiping left on your dating profiles or whatever, sometimes that's a fake picture. It's a whole, the whole thing's a lie, a whole scam. You get let. They will ghost you. I, these are terms I never grew up with, so I'm sorry. I'm not hip on them or whatever. I ain't dating you till I meet you, listen to you, see you. Uh, some profile and gargantuous shows up, Frankenstein shows up, and thought, you don't look like your picture to me. Been married three times, you know, a serial killer. Uh, you're going to go, you're going to have a hookup with him. <laughs> lie, lie, lie. See, telling lies means I'm not in control of my life. And if I'm not in control of my life, how am I ever going to stand in the evil day? 
I'm, my whole life is built on a lie. Third characteristic, in order to stand in the evil day, I got to ask myself, what is my purpose? Not yours. What is my purpose? See, we all need challenges, everybody. We all need something to get out of bed for every morning. When you find people that don't have a challenge, they will never withstand in the evil day because they don't have anything to fight for. See, we need challenges. God built us to overcome. He made us to take dominion and subdue. Adam was given that commandment by God. You subdue the earth and have dominion. And he lost it when he sinned. So Jesus comes as the last Adam and wins it back and now delegates to you and me that same mantle. Now you go and subdue this earth and have dominion. That's our, that's our challenge, see? If we have no challenges, we quickly atrophy. We begin to wither. Our dreams, our faith, our hopes, our effectiveness all begin to shrink and wither because we have nothing to face every day. Something that will challenge you. Somewhere you are giving yourself as a volunteer, as a teacher, as your kid's soccer coach, maybe just helping somebody who needs it. But something that challenges you to get involved will keep you alive, to be part of what's going on. And by the way, doctors say that when you give up and retire, sit on your porch and drool on yourself, your immune system goes down. So now you start picking up all the plagues of Egypt because you don't have anything to live for or fight for. So everything goes down in your system, your immune system, all of it. And, and a lot of people, you know, within three to five years, you come down with these diseases and die. I, I, I don't want to live that way. I, when I got life insurance, they always, they won't, they won't quit talking about when you want to retire, when you're going to retire. So you grew up with that. You didn't get it out of the Bible. Somebody told you to retire. I said, when I fall dead and can't breathe, I'll retire. <laughs> I said, I'm not retiring. And by the way, you can get older and you don't have to be sickly. Somebody told you that. Well, my Aunt Gladys was. Well, then just be Aunt Gladys or think for yourself. I have the right to take control of myself. I have a right to decide what I'm going to eat. I, I can decide how I'm going to live my life, what I'm going to do so I don't become that way. You make that choice every day. So I'm, I'm trying to kick you out of the bed of retirement and get you out of the bed of being slothful and just saying, well, two more years, I can retire. Yeah, and die. And even if you do retire, if you're an airline pilot, you're forced to retire at a certain age, you're going to do something else. Get yourself involved in another career, in something else you do to keep you alive, something to pray for, something to hope for. It keeps you stimulated and alive, okay? So if you don't, there's nothing for you to defend, nothing for you to fight for in the evil day. I meet a lot of nice, dull, unmotivated, unhappy, beige people. <laughs> Mwah. It's like a dial tone. Well, we don't have dial tones anymore, but back in my day, we had a dial tone. Yeah. They have no challenges in their life, nothing to wake up for, no dream to fulfill. There are studies that show how quickly people die after they retire. See, they have nothing to get up for and no reason to live. That's, that, that didn't come from God. Number four, do I love? Well, now, why I ask that, Rick? Because loving others enriches you. Filter every moment through the love you have for the people in your life. You'll be amazed what it'll do for you. 
You'll be amazed when you look at your life through the love you have for the other people in your life, how it empowers you to stand in the evil day. One of my prayers every morning is, Lord, help me be productive till the day I die. For my wife, my children, my grandchildren, help me be productive in our church at Summit till the day I die. I don't want to ease away. I want to be productive until my last day. I, it's a worthy prayer. Why not? I want to be fruitful until my last breath. You find people that don't love other people and they won't stand for anything because they don't have anything to fight for. I don't know if you remember this, maybe two years ago on national news, a guy named John Walker was an American captured in Afghanistan fighting for the Al-Qaeda. And after he was caught and facing trial in America, he tried to convince everybody he was an American. Too late, Johnny boy but he was working with the Al-Qaeda. He was trained in their terrorist camps. So how could a bright young man like that be so stupid and deceived? He was deceived because he had no love at all for his country or fellow man, none. If you don't love something, you'll betray it. You know, I got, I, I, Randy, we got to wake up. We got to look at our, our wife, our children, our grandchildren, and the next generation, and I, I got to keep moving. I got I to be there for them. That's in me all the time. It's not them there for me. I don't want my kids to have to support me. I want to be there for them. And I love them. And I don't want to let them down. I want to keep moving. So if you're looking at life through the love you have for the people in your life, you're willing to fight and stand in that evil day. But if you don't love your friends or your family or the Lord or God's word or the truth, then you won't be there when the pressure comes. You'll go A-W-O-L. When the roll is called, you won't be present. You will have deserted your post. But if you have love in your life and you're looking at things through that love, it empowers you to stand. There's, there's a reason to fight for that. In fact, if somebody attacks one of my friends, I'll bite you. I hope you'll be that way for your loved ones and friends. If some, I remember years ago, a long time ago, somebody said something uh, so off, they were just jealous of another teacher in the church, uh, a female, and I could tell just, just jealousy. So made some off-the-cuff remark uh, that was so untrue and so rude, I bit her. And I mean, I jumped on her and said, you know, well, what I said <laughs> was in defense of somebody I love. And I said, in my presence, that won't stand. Can you do that? You love somebody in my presence? Oh, oh no, that's not going to stand in my presence. That's my friend. I know my friend. I love my friend. I'm going to bless and defend my friend. And they left, and I'm glad. If, it, if somebody would do that in that attitude, do you think we lost anything? Really? That's like getting cancer out of your body. No, 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 we don't do that here. You don't do that in the body of Christ. So let me say to men, become a caretaker. Take responsibility to care for your family. Don't begrudge them because you work hard and buy things for them and take care of them. Excuse me, that's your responsibility to watch over them, to care for them, to provide for them. I'm glad to do it. You know why? I'm a caretaker. It's my responsibility to take care of my family, my children, and God gave them to me. So I'm a caretaker. Take care of your family, men. That is your primary responsibility. And you know what else? It's a privilege. It is a privilege to take care of, provide for my family, children, and grandchildren. 
See, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. We've tried to dazzle the world by our hairstyles, our bumper stickers, our Bible verses, how much we go to church, how many rules we keep, but they don't care about that. How much do you care about them? They, that's what they care about. Show care to the people around you. And last, number five, am I in control of me? See, it's not how much you, you're not strong because you bench press 400 pounds. You're strong when you can rule your own spirit. See, fathers and leaders must be in control of themselves. I've got to be able to control my anger, my attention, my laughter, my desires, because only when I'm in control of me can I make me do my work and stand. When I'm not in control of myself, I can't make myself stand. And if I can't make myself stand or work, how am I going to help anybody else work? I've got to be in control of me. When I'm in control of myself, that enables me to set my personal needs aside for the larger demands of my family, of my God, of my community, of my friends. But I can't do that as long as I don't control me. Because if I don't have me under control, then me is always going to be on top. And when the pressure comes, you better have self under control so you can meet the larger demands of family, your church, your career, your country, and the kingdom of God. I love this verse, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. It says, a man with no control over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. No defense, open target for any adversary. See, when times get hard, you just buckle down, you do what you have to do. That's all there is to it. You grind it out. You do what you have to do. It's not pretty. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But you do what you have to do on those occasions when the pressure calls. It's called standing in the evil day. You do what you have to do. And let me say this. Those are the people we call heroes. In every generation, in every time period, God puts heroes. You know, you look back at history, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Caleb, Sarah, Deborah, Rebecca, Esther, Gideon, David, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Jesus, Paul, Peter, Stephen, Mary. What do we call these people? We call them heroes. Remember a few months ago, we went through a whole series on these heroes. These are just ordinary people that did extraordinary things. People in this room. There are people in this room, God wants to make heroes. And boy, do we need lots of them. What makes a hero? Let me take that word hero and uh, let me break it down. H, if you want to be a hero, you got to be here. You can't be a hero to your spouse, your children, your community if you're not here. You can't check out. E, you got to be for every man. You have to open up your life, let all kinds of people come in. No prejudice. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, stop looking at men by the outward appearance. R, you got to be relevant, pertaining to the matters at hand. And all heroes are risk takers. You can't always play it safe. Heroes have to have courage to begin while others are waiting for a better time, a safer situation, guaranteed results. What does Solomon write in Ecclesiastes chapter 11? If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. It's never going to be perfect. The O, heroes are ordinary people. James chapter 5, he talks about the prophet Elijah. And in spite of all of his miracles, he said, he was a guy just like we are. 
That's what he said. Ordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary situations and overcame them by drawing on the gift of God inside of them and upon the strength of our God. And you and I can do the same thing. Folks, you can stand in tough times. You can and you must. We can and we must. Don't give up. Be willing to grind it out. Become a caretaker who loves people and family. And while others are running, may we stand in Jesus' name. And fathers, we have a strong heavenly father. I'm telling you, he loves you. Listen to Paul writing in 2 Corinthians. I will be a father to you. Maybe you didn't have one. Maybe you had a bad one. He says, I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Family talk. Psalms 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You have a heavenly father you can snuggle up to in a bad day and say, Daddy, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what to do and feel those arms of comfort around you knowing he's got your back. He can open the Red Sea. He can feed you with ravens. He, he can raise the dead. He can make the sun stand still. What's your problem? See, we've got a father that's backing us up. Now, don't, I'm sorry if you had a bad one. I'm sorry if he was abusive. I'm sorry if he abandoned the home and family, and many do. But you have a heavenly father who cannot be shaken, who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus says, through me, you can come straight to the father. I close with a brief, brief video. I picked it up on, online. Watch it. Muhammad Ali has a daughter named Layla Ali. Yeah. And, and Layla decided to take up boxing. She boxed for a few years. As a matter of fact, she had a record of 24 and 0. She never lost a fight. She was a boxer. In one of her matches, she had a rematch with somebody that she had a close fight with. And this rematch, she got a cut over her eye and a bloody nose. And it looked like halfway through the fight, she was going to lose. But she came back and won the fight, knocked the girl out. When the fight was over, they interviewed Layla and said, Layla, you look like you were about to lose that fight. How were you able to come back? She said, I watched my father fight. I watched Muhammad Ali beat Joe Frazier and George Foreman and Sonny Liston. I watched him look like he was going to lose, but then I saw him come back. I watched him, and so then she said this, when I thought about who my daddy was. Do you know who your daddy is? He's the lily of the valley. Do you know who your daddy is? He's the bright and morning star. Do you know who your daddy is? He is alive and well. Put your dukes up there. Amen. Amen. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up. When it looks bad and when it looks like you're down and out, you just remember who your father is. There is no power above him. There is no defeat in his vocabulary. He will never forsake you. And he is for you every day of your life. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I want you just to bow your head right now. Everybody, just bow your head for a second. If you don't have a relationship with his heavenly father through Jesus, I want to pray for you. If you're in a place where you're tempted to leave your post, cut and run, I want to pray you'll stay. I want to pray you'll determine with God's help to grind it out. 
I want to pray that you'll call on Jesus, accept his love and mercy, and be united with a heavenly Father who says, I will never leave you, never abuse you, never forsake you. I died for you. You are precious to me. And in a moment of battle, when it just looks like we're overwhelmed, we cast our care on him, knowing he cares for me, and he'll fight the good fight for all of us. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. That's our Father God. And you can know him and join his family today. If you've never accepted Jesus, are you not sure? Are you in a position where maybe you're tempted to cut and run? Can I pray for you? Nobody will embarrass you. Nobody will come to you. But may I know, with our heads bowed, just slip a hand up, take it down. Say, Rick, include me in that prayer. Thank you. God bless you. Upstairs, God bless several of you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. On my right, thank you. Don't be embarrassed at all. This is good. This could be a life-changing day. God bless you in the center. I'm going to pray a simple prayer out loud. I'd like everybody in the room, everybody, to pray with me so my friends can pray. And if you're watching online, you can pray this at home right where you are. Let's pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. You died for me. You paid my debt of all my sin, and you rose from the dead. You are the eternal Son of God. Come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sin and give me eternal life. Thank you through you, Jesus. I have access to the Heavenly Father because you and the Father are one. Thank you, I have a hope and a future. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. Thank you for the precious gift of eternal life. I receive that now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.